You don't even like sports. Welcome to You Don't Even Like Sports, a podcast about sports for people who don't like sports. With your hosts, Adam Todd Brown and Jeff May. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Jeff. Hey. Hey, Adam. Guess what? You don't even like sports. Adam, you don't even like sports. I said it first. Adam, you don't even like sports. So the fact that I said it first means Means that you don't like sports, yeah. And you're wrong. You don't even like sports. How's it going, Jeff? Oh, you know, it's going great. There's nothing going on here. This is a timeless episode of Podcastery. (laughs) Nothing is happening. Why Why would anything be happening here? Evergreen content we're cranking out today. This is weird, man. But I got some time. I got some time to listen to some audiobooks. What do you think Dennis Rodman's doing right now? He's probably violating quarantine at the very least. <laughs> yeah, he's probably at like a hard rock in Belize. Yeah, and like him yeah, he and like Tracy Bingham are on vacation or some shit. You know, he's hanging out with uh someone who was on Baywatch the later seasons. Or what if he's in North Korea, which no coronavirus in North Korea. I'm sure there isn't. <laughs> Although that actually makes sense. Who's leaving? <laughs> like, where's it going to come in from? Yeah, that's true. Maybe there isn't. So yeah, we're doing some 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 bone con this week. A little bone con. Little little bonus pod. We're talking about the book As Bad As I Want to Be, but with a twist. What a twist. We're talking about the audio book, which I'm going to... I'm going to just uh, take a take a gamble right now and say this episode will probably be longer than the audiobook version of As Bad As I Want to Be. This audiobook is fascinating because the book itself is not small. Like when you look at it, it's a couple hundred pages and the audiobook is roughly 18 to 30 minutes. Yeah, it's it's running time is an hour and 14 minutes, which is very short for an audio book yeah that's not even a that's not even a feature film at that point in time yeah yeah you got to beef that up the reason i wanted to do the audiobook version is we've basically covered everything that would be in that book up to this point on the podcast because we've covered the 96 bulls and this book came out in 96 dennis rodman he's not dennis rodstradamus he can't see into the future so I like how nods Rod Stradamus. <laughs> it's pretty great. But you picture him with a big wizard hat. <laughs> that definitely happened. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's probably he's probably reading palms on on uh, Boardwalk of Venice right now. <laughs> just, what do you got there? Let me see your lifeline. Yeah. So the this book it's it's uh it's an abridged audio book, very short. It is unfortunately not narrated by Dennis Rodman. Maybe for the best. Oh, it's 100% for the best. For one thing, I was able to just listen to it once and catch all of it. Yeah, yeah, there would have been some rewinding. I feel like if I could make a projection, I feel like Dennis Rodman came in to do the audiobook recording and the recording lasted maybe 20 minutes before he was like, no, I'm not doing this. Hire someone else. It would be a tall, like, it's a task, I'm sure. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. Audiobook recording is a, a pain in the ass. It's it's not easy because sometimes you have to go back and re-record and everything like that. And I I can't tell like we'll talk about some specific moments, but I feel like there's some some parts where I don't know if the narrator is conveying the tone Dennis Rodman was really shooting for because the narrator is a dude who sounds like he's in his sixties. Yeah, he feels like he, it sounds like he would have called Dennis Rodman young blood. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Playing ch- playing chess in the park, you know? <laughs> yeah, he's got he's got that kind of voice. And uh it makes it makes for some some weird moments. And like usually when a book is this abridged, or when a book is abridged at all, it's because that book is just so unwieldy that like the audiobook would be like just this massive file. And this it's not really the case with as bad as I want to be. It's a it's a longer book. Then this audiobook lets on, but they could have just read the whole book. I'm still mad that they didn't do a juiced. Yeah, no shit. Have Jose Canseco read that. No. <laughs> no, I'm I'm gonna say no to that. 
for the same reasons. So this book, it's short enough that we can just run through each chapter. That's yeah. I, I feel like that's absolutely something we can do. There are nine chapters in this audio book, which is just an absurd amount of chapters for a book. No book has nine chapters. A book either has zero chapters or 15 minimum. <laughs> yeah. If your book has nine chapters, your book is not done. So chapter one, this is the original telling of the suicide story. And there's a few more details. He says the note he dropped off wasn't meant to be a suicide note, but also he did drop a note off at his friend's house. And then he, he just, it's kind of the same story. He said he went to the gym to pump some iron and yeah, he, did. he was ups, upset about the team falling apart and hearing him tell it, it does sound a little more serious than we've been treating it. Maybe. Or I've been treating it. I disagree. No, no, no. <laughs> Not serious at all. We shouldn't look into it. Except he does, the the ending is different. Like, this isn't the I fell asleep to Pearl Jam ending. That was from another interview that happened years later. Pearl Jam was a part of the waking narrative. Right. <laughs> but still a part of the narrative. Very important to remember. <laughs> Here he just says he talked himself out of it and decided suicide wasn't worth it. Probably not. Yeah. He's rich. Yeah. And it's 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 the right message to send. Yeah, I would say if you're going to write a book, don't kill yourself is probably not the worst thing to say in chapter one. <laughs> I, I love the part where he talks about the watch incident and he, he talks about how he, he, he can't believe this comes up all the time. And it's like, of course, it comes up all the time. You stole 50 watches, 50 watches from an airport. That's so many watches. 50 watches is roughly 50 more than anybody needs. <laughs> like they're going to they're going to miss those. Yeah, they're going to notice 50 things. 50 of anything disappeared. If you took 50 English muffins from the Dunkin Donuts that was in this airport, they would have been like someone stole the English muffin. <laughs> but 50 $89 watches, people are going to notice that. And he he talks about it like once he took one, it just started feeling like a challenge. Yeah, well what when do you stop? What number is your what number is your goal? I think he was trying to get them all. I think he took all of them. I mean, can't know watches are missing if you never knew you had watches. He was gaslighting that whole fucking <laughs> that whole store. I don't remember you guys having watches. That's that competitive spirit. Why would you steal one watch when you can steal dozens and dozens? Yeah, he got the watch stealing title that year. <laughs> he rebounded those watches. But yeah, chapter one, that's kind of always been like that's where the suicide story originally comes from is chapter one of as bad as I want to be, which I should point out the title is taken from a two live crew album that yeah, we just is. did an episode of another Unpops podcast about called as nasty as they want to be. And that was about Dennis Rodman, right? It was an album about the bad boys pistons. Yeah. Ain't nobody dunking on Dennis Rodman. Hood rat, hood rat, Dennis Rodman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. And what's the wife's book called? As uh, worse than he says he is, I believe. Which could be the title for this book, too. Because, again, he, he cuts a lot out of this book. Yeah, he sure did. He seems like this book was recorded after he had a little minute to think. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have had that chapter in. Meanwhile, Jose Canseco keeping road beef in there. <laughs> Well, there's no audio, but like if there's an audio book of Juiced, it's going to be 15 minutes long and it's just going to be him listing the names from the book. No context. You don't know if they were mentioned for good or bad reasons. Just Roger Clemens did not cheat on his wife. Wink, wink. <laughs> he says the winks. <laughs> so chapter two, he talks about how he was homeless for six months when he was 19, which uh, that sucks. Yeah, man. Nobody wants that. If I recall that part of his story correctly, he was homeless, but he was it was more that his mom threw him out for kind of being a shiftless roustabout. Yeah. And that doesn't come up a lot in this book. A no good Nick. <laughs> so he he kind of admits he, he says out loud. He's like, yeah, I was kind of a deadbeat. Like. Yeah, it kind of wavers like he is really honest about it in that moment. And then there's other moments where he, he sort of just glides over it. 
Well, you know, it's one of those things, too, where once you're past that hump, you can look back and be like, wow, I was kind of a piece of shit, but I fixed it. So, like, there's nothing that's going to hold you back from saying I was deadbeat at the time because you fixed the problem. Yeah, there's there's a part in this chapter. This is the part where the narrator gets a little confusing for me because there's this line where Dennis Rodman is talking about that friend of his sister who basically convinced him to try out for that junior college team. I believe Larita Westbrook. Yeah. And he says, I don't know where Larita Westbrook is today, but I bet she tells everyone she discovered Dennis Rodman. And I don't know if Dennis Rodman was trying to like throw a little shade there. If so, it seems very unnecessary. But the narrator definitely sounded like he was. Yeah, he kind of does it in a in a sort of blow off kind of way of saying it. Like he like kind of like snickers a little as he's saying the line. Yeah. I hope Dennis Rodman was in the room and was like some more pissed off, bro. Bro, bro. Make sure I'm the man. I don't want to spoil it to when we get to a later <laughs> chapter. But there's the thing. Also, one thing that we didn't mention in the notes and I just want to bring up is where he mentions his nickname the worm, how he got his nickname. This is very pertinent to my needs because the nickname, the worm, which he carried with him through his professional career was given to him because that's the movements that he made while he was playing pinball. Oh, wow. He was like, he would like move around and stuff. And that's why they called him the worm. Like Axl Rose. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> same guy. Say, basically. Yeah. You ever see him together in the same room at the same time? I bet there are pictures. Yeah, that's probably not. Probably not wrong. They, they are the same person, just divided by a racial uh, barrier. That's it. <laughs> a pretty big one, though. Yeah. So, yeah, here's a part where I feel like Dennis Rodman is sort of rewriting history. He talks about Lon Reesman showing up and trying to recruit him to play for the Savages. R.I.P. <laughs> Viva la Savage Storms. The Savage Storms. Wink, wink. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're pro it's probably like a low key reference to immigrants or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we got the they're coming. <laughs> they cooked that up in some back room and we're like, people will never get it. So he talks about Lon Reesman showing up and trying to recruit him. And he says that by this point in his life, he realized he needed a change and that he needed to to do something different. And that's not how I remember the story being told because there's a really big detail there where the day that meeting happens, Dennis Rodman wouldn't even come out of his room. Yeah, His mom had to like beat him out with a broom. Like he was a mouse in an old cartoon. And like, that's Lon Reesman's account. That's, it's not like that's coming from some friend of his who heard it third hand. Lon Reesman was there. So that's a part where Dennis Rodman's being a little... I think he doesn't want to give credit for what was probably the most pivotal decision in his life to someone else. Yeah. I mean, you got to kind of think of it like when you're going over your own history, you're going to probably be more sympathetic towards yourself, but also he's in the position of having achieved something after the fact. So he can, it's like, he's walking a fine line between like, yeah, I was kind of a deadbeat. And he's like, but really I knew how to get my life in order. Yeah, that's true. I mean, He's writing the narrative. Yeah, he also, he talks in this chapter about all the racism in Oklahoma, and I don't doubt that for a second. Uh, he drops the N-word a couple times. Very uncomfortable. Well, I mean, if you're going to be in Oklahoma. I hope he doesn't get canceled over that. Uh, he doesn't spend a lot of time on the, the rich family, and no. they seem like a pretty big deal in his story. Yeah, I wonder if he just doesn't want to tell the story of how he was friends with a young white child. <laughs> that could very well be. Like, maybe kind of just yada, yada, yada through the part where you were basically a adult giant man with a teen sidekick. <laughs> it's Rod, Rod Man and Robin, yeah. So Chapter 3 is family stuff. Yeah, he, he kicks off Chapter 3 talking about how he's not close to his family. Because to move on with his life, he had to leave all of that other stuff behind. <laughs> like family. You're going to leave all that shit behind. Ah, fuck it. I mean, it, it depends on how much family he's talking about. Like, I, I went through 
I had, there were a lot of deaths in my family when I was in my teens and you killed all those people grade school years when I was murdering a bunch of family members. And I came out the other end of that really not close to most of my family. And I've, I'm still fine with that to this day. Yeah. Yeah. They're fine with it too. (laughs) Yeah. There's some chapters in life. You just have to shut and move on from. So are you still in close contact with Dennis Rodman's family though? I talked to Dennis Rodman's dad a bunch. Uh, Philander. Getting, <laughs> getting in there. Yeah, we hang out. So what, how does he make time with all of his 90-something children? You think he's had more kids since Dennis Rodman? Probably. Dude's like Ramsey's. He's not stopping until <laughs> he dies. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can definitely give Dennis Rodman a pass on that part of the book. As long as he doesn't shoot it, Jeff, because he's terrible at offense. <laughs> he's... He's not, actually. It's just that he pulled himself out of the uh, not a bad shooter. That was a really good show. (laughs) Woo! Uh, He also talks about being treated as a project. Yeah. Well, yes, that's the most correct sentence of the whole thing. Yeah. Dennis Rodman was treated as a project. That's because Dennis Rodman was a project. Yeah, 100%. He was a big problem as a teammate up to that point. He was like he was a project before he even got into the NBA. Like, think about how many people had to drag his ass out of bed and like give him option. Like, he was everybody else saw potential in him, and he's like, eh, which I relate to. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. But yeah, there's a reason he was playing at Southeastern Oklahoma State University and not at a Division One school because he wanted to be a savage. <laughs> There's a reason players end up there, and it's because they, in a lot of cases, take a lot more work to deal with than a, a Division One player. And Dennis Rodman was that. He still went pretty fucking high in the draft. So Yeah, well, he was pretty good. Like, he was third pick in the second round. That's not too shabby. Pretty good for a guy at a community college, basically. I wonder if he kind of... Like, there's this thing with him where he just sort of drags around this idea that as long as I'm doing what I need to do on the basketball court, nothing else should matter. And that's just not how teams work. Yeah, yeah. That This becomes a recycled bit that you don't see. And that's literally sort of the thesis statement at the end of this whole book is like, as long as somebody teaches me that I can do whatever the fuck I want, then I'm happy. Right. Which is an incredibly selfish thing to do as a teammate. And it's just a person in general, by the way. Yeah. Like, you kind of heard the same thing with Jose Canseco. And I imagine any player that's had a lot of really crazy off-court, off-field, whatever issues, probably says the same thing. And it's like, no, you don't get it. Yeah. Why can't I just kill Frank Thomas in a terrible car wreck? Yeah, when, like, at one point he brings up, well, no one would care if David Robinson or Michael Jordan refused to join a huddle during a timeout. And it's like, that's because that is the most inconceivable thing. Yeah, that's because they wouldn't do that. Yeah, they want to win. Like, they're going to take over that huddle. And it gets, it's a really annoying detail of this book that keeps coming up is him leaning on that excuse which is, well, I was good at basketball, so why should it matter? It's like, you're in the NBA. Everyone around you is good at basketball. Yeah, you're like, hey, man, this is this is me. This is what I do. It's like, yeah, this is literally what everyone does. But they also get in the huddle. It's like when, you, when people are like, I'm going to come out to L.A. And I'm like, all right, great. That's cool. You're competing with a thousand of you. So, like, how are you going to stand out? It's, it's like that way in entertainment a lot, where people think that, that just because they're funny – that they can come out. It's like, yeah, but everyone's funny. What's your drive? What's your motivation? What's your work ethic? Right. And when you're managing a team of any sort, like even if, if we were talking about an office job, like no matter how good you are at your office job, you could be the best customer service rep. But if you show up like an hour or two late every day, one, the people around you are going to be very resentful of the fact that you get to just stroll in whenever you want. And you're kind of forcing management to act and to discipline you in some way. And then your excuse is, yeah, but when I'm on those phones, I'm really good at it. 
It's like, no, that's that would never fly in real life. So he gets drafted. Yeah, he gets drafted, and he brings up a good point that being uh, looked at this way meant the expectations for him were really low. That's always the best way to go into a situation. Low expectations. Just to generally exist, yeah. Man, I love some low expectations. Oh, man, when people don't expect much of you and then you give them the bare minimum, nothing pays off better. Nothing (laughs) pays off better than being better than bad expectations, but not enough to meet good expectations. You're impressing while still underperforming. It's just amazing. (laughs) But Dennis Rodman overperformed. Well, he was murdering Adrian Dantley in practice. Yeah, I like I love that story. I hadn't heard that before this book where he would just go hard on Adrian Dantley every practice and then eventually Adrian Dantley gets injured and Dennis Rodman just sort of took his job. Yeah, Adrian Dantley got injured. Somebody broke his leg while he was asleep. <laughs> Dennis Rodman's like, I don't know what's going on, man. He really did love winning. He he talks about crying when he accepted his first defensive player of the year award. I'll play a little bit of it. For Rodman, his dedication had been well worth it. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Set yourself out to accomplish a goal, and then all of a sudden you achieve it, you know, no matter what it is, you know. I promised myself I wouldn't break that if I wanted to hold it, but it just it hit me, and, and uh, it was a great feeling for me. I wanted this one so bad. And we're back. Wow, that was powerful, man. That was, if you were in that room when that happened and you didn't cry also, you're a fucking asshole. We're looking at you, Joey Dumars. <laughs> so the end of chapter three is about meeting his former wife, Annie Bakes. They got My married. Ex-wife. <laughs> I just, I made that reference on a Cracked podcast this week too. We're bringing it yeah, back. Oh, it's about time. I'm bringing uh, it Borak. Oh, I don't get it. What do you mean? Because the character is Borat as the guy that says the my wife thing. That's he not says, how hey, it's my wife. That's not how you Remember say from the movie? But his he name's goes, Borat. Hey, my, he goes, hey, my wife. Uh, shut it, up, you face, a wife. Remember? It's a me, uh, my wife. It's a me, a Barut, uh, my wife. <laughs> you remember? So, yeah, they. he talks about marrying his uh, girlfriend, uh, a woman named Annie Bakes. And he says they got married because their daughter kept asking them to, which that is just solid decision-making right there. If a two-year-old doesn't provide sound and just reason for you to make a huge decision, (laughs) I don't know what does. Yeah, and just the fact that your kid is asking you to get married, that's a sign you shouldn't get married. Yeah, and a sign you probably shouldn't even be together. Yeah. Hey, you guys want to fix this? (laughs) (laughs) They get divorced within 82 days, by the way. Yeah. 82 days. Which is like, what was it like before the marriage (laughs) that it only took less than three months for them to be like, you know what? Fuck this whole thing. And is that like, can you even annul it at that point? It's like, it's just long enough that you have to give up some shit. Isn't an annulment like 60 days or something? I think so. Most of my annulments have been 30 days or less. Yeah. Dozens. Just dozens. 14 days. Yeah. Just so many annulments. (laughs) They're expensive, but they're worth it. Yeah. Baby, it's worth it. So he talks about like the divorce and then he's just like, man, then I leave Detroit. Yeah. He, when he talks about leaving Detroit, it sounds like he's still talking about divorce. Yeah. But this one matters. Yeah. He was legitimately broken up by like, that's why he says he contemplated suicide. It was mostly the, the demise of that team is what sent him into that spiral because it was the first family he'd had that wasn't a trio of redneck white people in Oklahoma in chapter four he talks about whether he's been punished financially for his off-court antics and at this point he was making 2.5 million dollars a year and that is low yeah but I mean what year was it it was like 1992 or 93 it was 96 oh oh it was 96 when he went to san antonio i thought it was a little earlier than that wait wait no 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 he was making 2.5 million a year with the bulls in 96 oh oh that's how much he was making the year he wrote this book oh oh and that does seem low he brings up a really interesting example which is uh Derek coleman who is a he was a good nba player he was an all-star he was making more than seven million per year 
at the time. And man, he goes hard on Derek Coleman in this book. Derek Coleman played for, was it the Nets? I want to say the Nets, yeah. Derek Coleman was a key franchise player for a team that needed a franchise player. Dennis Rodman was not even the third best player on the Bulls. Yeah, Dennis Rodman was a key component to the Bulls' success, but the Derek Coleman comparison, first of all, it's very harsh. Like, was there no one else making more money than Dennis Rodman? He couldn't have spread the hate around. It's just like when you watch that Whitney Houston documentary and the only person that they get footage of her shitting on is Paula Abdul. And it's just, you're just like, <laughs> wow, this is going to be really hard for this person. <laughs> yeah. And he, like, he talks about being one of the top draws in the NBA at the time. And yeah, but also you're on the best team in the NBA. You're on a team with Michael Jordan. So no matter how much of a draw you are, no one's really coming to see Dennis Rodman. That Dennis Rodman is there is a nice touch, but people are there to see Michael Jordan. He would have made a lot more money if he went elsewhere. Oh, yeah, but that's only if any other team. That's the other thing. He doesn't really acknowledge that no other team was going to take him. Yeah, I don't think Red Auerbach was going to take him in the Celtics. Yeah, no one, no one wanted to deal with his shit. Because of the racism. So, like, I, I feel like this is where that, that whole narrative really kicks off in this book. That idea that, well, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm, I'm good on the basketball court. So, like, team owners are always going to take that shit into account. Well, it's sort of, think about it like this. Like, how often do you think about Chris Mullen? Like, like Chris Mullen was one of the greatest players of his era, and no one cares because the dude just showed up, worked, and then went home. There was nothing exciting or fun about Chris Mullen. Right. But he played in the NBA for like 20 years. Yeah, and he was great, but it just no one cares. Like, when you're, when you're not making any waves, who's going to give a shit? You're not going to be remembered. How many people remember Dennis Rodman? A lot. How much of that do you think has to do with the off-court stuff and his personality. A lot. I think most of it. I feel like without all of that, even if he goes to the Bulls, but is just like a pre-Pearl Jam suicide attempt Dennis Rodman that's still in his shell and being all conservative, but still cranking out the rebounds the way he was, we would remember him, but we'd be like, oh, remember that fucking Dennis Rodman guy? Couldn't play offense for shit, but got all those rebounds? If that was the case, too, uh, if he just went during that era, they would think he was there to kill Scottie Pippen. Because, <laughs> but remember, he was he was still an antics guy. He wasn't uh, very visible. But remember, being anybody who was a part of that Pistons team got notoriety. Remember, Bill Lambeer had a Super Nintendo game called Bill Lambeer's Combat Basketball. <laughs> that was a real game that he had. God, I love that team. So, so there is something to be said about that. But you're right. It's like, like... How much do you really remember about Dominique Wilkins? He was great, right? He was phenomenal. But like he he like left the Hawks, went to the Celtics, and then went to Greece, and then nobody cared. You know, and you're just like, oh, shit, remember Dominique Wilkins? Dominique Wilkins wasn't in double team. <laughs> He's probably never even met Jean-Claude Van Damme. He probably has. <laughs> like if yeah, I was, if probably. I was going to take money, I would probably assume 100% Dominique Wilkins <laughs> and Jean-Claude Van Damme have done like rails of coke off of some hooker's tits. Yeah. Or they've at least like smoked cigars or something. Yeah. Let's smoke cigars with my friend Dominique Wilkins. <laughs> Dominique, that name is French. Yes. I am from Brussels. So uh, one of the examples he brings up in this book, I think really typifies the problem with Dennis Rodman. Like... He's talking about how only what he does on the court matters. I would argue showing up on time the day the team is presenting you to the public, that, that, would, that would probably be a worthwhile thing. But no, he showed up 30 minutes late because he was getting his hair dyed. I mean, worth it. <laughs> I mean, in the long run, it was kind of worth it. But Yeah, they could be still. like, hey, just look at Dennis, look at David Robinson some more, you know? Wait, isn't he tall? <laughs> His little outfit. I feel like he's just being a little easy on himself. Of course he is, because he's also in the middle of it. Like, that's the other thing that you can't forget is like, he's in the middle of the, of all of this shit. But it's funny when he's like, he makes it a point to talk about how he's a draw, but then says that it, 
that his off the court antics shouldn't matter. And it's like, well, then you're not a draw, are you? Right. Of course they matter or else you wouldn't be a draw. Yeah. And it's a complicated issue because Dennis Rodman is playing in the NBA and he, he talks about all of these things being kind of a rebellion against the NBA ownership. And I don't think that's a necessarily unwarranted rebellion. Like the thing about Dennis Rodman, he ends up being sort of a pioneer in that who was forcing trades before Dennis Rodman. Yeah. Like it's the, the, the reason there is no one quite like Dennis Rodman now is because social media makes it way easier to be as much of a problem as Dennis Rodman without having to be as flamboyant about it. Yeah. And there's also the idea too, that you're living in a time where like, if you saw an NBA player dressed like a seventies pimp, you'd just be like, Oh, that's how people dress when you're a millionaire. You gotta, you know, cause he, he also kind of pioneered that, you know, I would say there were others that probably were the same way, but he very much pioneered that sort of like the high fashion in NBA, or at least, I don't know if you call it high fashion or just odd fashion, but mixing it up a little bit. Oh yeah. He like, he ends up pioneering a lot of things in the NBA. And I think like in some ways, as much as I'm complaining about all of his antics, the NBA, I, I think we've all accepted it's it's pretty uncomfortable that just the phrase owner and ownership seems to be more prevalent in the NBA while oh, yeah. it's also the blackest sports league. And like that's that's not my opinion. That's like you can Google around and you'll find people like there are NBA players who have described it as a plantation system, which is probably, I think capitalism, anything and anything that's involved in, you know, late stage capitalism sort of falls under that whole umbrella, I guess. Yeah. And like, I'm, I'm not an NBA athlete. I'm not black. Uh, so wait, it, it's... wait, 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 excuse me. I have been told a lot of information under very false pretenses right here. Why are we even doing this show? It's a toner I use. It's a bra- I put a bronzer on my face. Adam, I, that's blackface. <laughs> what? No, it's just, it's just to make myself look <laughs> No, it's look like cool. a bronzer. Like yeah, George Hamilton, just... you know? <laughs> but that is a thing that until very recently, like NBA players, I think, I don't want to say it's all racism. Like the thing about the NBA is it's the game or the professional sports league where there's the most focus on an individual player. Because it's the only sport where one player can legitimately make an entire team better. Like, well, like I mean, pitchers might be able to do that in baseball. But pitchers don't play every game. Like, I would. <laughs> I mean, they used to. It's fucking yeah. pussies now. Yeah. But, Blowing their arms out at 28 and retiring. But, like, LeBron James is a great example of not just that, the fact that one player can not just make a team better, but LeBron James like made the Cleveland Cavaliers relevant again. And they hadn't been in fucking decades since Mark Price. Yeah. Craig Elo, all the fucking legends, (laughs) straight up legends. (laughs) And like he comes to Cleveland straight out of high school and takes issue with the fact that they didn't do a lot to build a team around him. All they did was get him old Ben Wallace. Yeah. So he leaves, and when he leaves, the city fucking erupts. The owner posts this nasty fucking open letter calling LeBron James a traitor. He called him a coward. Yeah. How could you not make me make billions off of you? Right. And I think with all of LeBron James' accomplishments on the court, I think that in the end is going to be remembered as maybe the most important thing he did because he broke that idea that well you play for this team you belong to us you belong to this city now and you have to play here forever and LeBron James really annihilated that idea it's it's weird that sports have an an employment um, outline that's so unique towards like the american workforce where like could you imagine if you just got a job teaching and then the principal comes in he's like oh man you've been traded to bartlett <laughs> you know 
You've been traded to Bartlett High School. You got to go. You got to move up your move your family because <laughs> we <laughs> traded you instead of allowing you to be like, I got a job somewhere else. I'm going to go. Like, what a weird thing. Like, what a we- what a weird island outside of the American economy. And we're just totally okay with it that people can't control their own fucking jobs. Yeah. And the, the thing is, like, players were free to do that for years and just didn't because there was that pressure of, well, you this is the city you belong to. You, you need to be loyal to this city. And it's like, if the city's not loyal to you, fuck them. As a Boston Red Sox fan, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Johnny Damon, Johnny Damon said, he's like, I'll never go to New York for money. And then he went to New York for money. And we were like, well, he's dead to us. <laughs> and see, that's sort of different. I think like once you say that you have to stand by it. Like yeah. you can't, well, like- that's why we didn't hate Jacoby Ellsbury when he went to New York. We were like, well, at least he didn't fucking lie about it. Yeah, sometimes a player is going to chase that money. Like yeah, that's, man. And and why not? But if you if if you if you go around touting yourself as a as a man of the people and then you're like, "Nah, I'm just kidding." Then it might be a little bit of an issue. But I think I think that's it was unfair to put that on teen LeBron. And it's like, "All right, well, this whole entire city's economy is based on you." Yeah, and it it really kind of was. Yeah, he brought in like $3 billion worth of non-basketball revenue every year. That's insane. Think about that. Just by being in Cleveland, the amount of non-basketball revenue that came in was utter- utterly unbelievable. That's Yeah, that's why that, that whole thing bothered me so much that people were so mad at LeBron. And like to, to bring it back to Dennis Rodman, I, I, I do feel like he sort of maybe unintentionally but did kind of pioneer the idea that Look, if you're unhappy with your situation, even if they don't want to let you leave, you can you can make a way. Life finds a way. And the the other thing that Dennis Rodman, not alone, but that 96 Bulls team, if you go back and look at it, it's not that different from what LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh did. They were both of those teams, those their three main players were called the big three. And Dennis Rodman has been really vocal about the fact that, hey, that was like, that was us first. Like we were the ones who like Dennis Rodman was just the the piece that they needed to add to be that. So it seems yeah. like it was because there's not as many moving parts, but Bulls this did the exact Hor- same thing. This is Horace Grant erasure, by the way. <laughs> I fucking loved Horace Grant. Those goggles. This is a uh, John Paxson erasure. <laughs> BJ Armstrong. Oh, I forgot about BJ Armstrong. How could you be a Bulls fan and forget about B.J. Armstrong? That guy was the fucking rock. Yeah, a little Spud Webby guy. <laughs> he was a he little guy, like, right? He was really little. He was He's probably like 6'2". <laughs> yeah, little guy. Little tiny guy, 6'2". Oh, little guy. So as much as he's complaining, Dennis Rodman did actually put up some arguments about NBA ownership that would eventually be proven correct by the players that came after him. Yeah. Also, remember Chris Bosh? Yeah. No one was mad at Chris Bosh. <laughs> I don't even remember Chris Bosh. He was great. Chris Bosh will probably be in the Hall of Fame someday. But yeah, Chris Bosh was like the, uh, that was the first time I heard of Chris Bosh was when people were like, Chris Bosh might go to Miami. I was like, oh, who? Neat. Yeah. Wasn't he in Toronto or something like that? Yeah. Toronto Imagine Raptors. Imagine going from Toronto to Miami. Just from sit from city to city, like I love Toronto, but like it is not Miami. But also, you could do a lot worse. So it's kind yeah. of like a, a nice Bienvenido back-to-back. a Toronto. <laughs> so in chapter five, because of the nature of this podcast, this chapter is going to be the least interesting to most people who listen to this podcast, which is a podcast about sports for people who don't like sports. Chapter five is my favorite chapter because he's mostly just talking about rebounding and it's really fucking interesting, at least for the first few minutes. And he talks about how if he can beat Moses Malone's record for most consecutive rebounding titles, it will be the most impressive record in sports. Fun fact, he did go on to beat that record. Uh, Fun fact, not the most impressive record in sports. No. Still good. Good job. What do you think is the most impressive record in sports? Um, geez, I don't know. I think it might be just from an all around, just general perspective. Uh, maybe Usain Bolt. 
Which one? Like his just the fastest, like being the fastest person on the world. There's something about that, like being the fastest human. And it's like, oh, man, I guess you could do a lot of things with that. Yeah, you could commit some crimes. Dude, how quickly would you, how quickly could you get away from crime scenes? Yeah, who's catching you? You're Usain Bolt or when you're in the Olympics, you should have to carry money sacks in your hand when you run. <laughs> Make it practical. I don't know. That that is weird though. Yeah, I said it's not the most uh, impressive uh, record, but I don't know what would be. I Maybe think, no- Nolan Ryan's strikeout record. I think Joe DiMaggio's consecutive hit streak record. I I can't see anyone breaking that. Because anytime someone even gets into the 30s, like, because if for people who aren't familiar, Joe DiMaggio had a hit in, I believe it was 56 consecutive games. And those were all on Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> and he was on amphetamines the whole time. It was believed he struck his wife. I would argue hitting a baseball might be the single most difficult act in all of the major sports leagues like that is that takes an insane amount of timing and luck also and to do it 56 games in a row like no one's even come close i think the furthest anyone's got was into the 30s yeah i'd put that i'd put nolan ryan's strikeout record to be not far away from there because like that's going to be untouchable the longevity of a pitcher to be like throwing 100 mile an hour fastballs in his 40s. We should do a whole season of this podcast about that time he fought Robin Ventura. I would 100% be all about that. That is one of my favorite stories. <laughs> Nolan God, Ryan he... beating the shit out of a kid half his age and twice his size. Oof, he had that boy hogtied before the rest of the team got to the goddamn pitcher's mound. He looked like he was excited for it to happen. He was like, fuck yeah. Oh, this is the most fun I've had in baseball in years. I'm going to punch this muscle-bound monster's top of the head with my pitching hand. Yeah, you think Nolan Ryan's still playing because he loves the game? He's just fucking poor and still needs the money. He's going to murder you when you get out there. (laughs) Nolan Ryan came about in the 60s when you were making 40 bucks a game. (laughs) You can't compete with that, you coddled little bastard. Yeah, if no one's ever seen it, go just type Nolan Ryan Robin Ventura into YouTube and it'll come up. You could just type like Nolan R and then Nolan Ryan Robin Ventura will come up right away. You know why? Because it's dope as fuck. <laughs> it really is. Baseball fights are by far the best fights in in sports because they're they're wonderfully rare, but it's just there's no security <laughs> to prevent it. And it's such a wide field that like it's basically just all these massive people smashed together. You can't get that. Basketball, it's t- it's too small of a court. I do a a bit about baseball sometimes on stage. Remember stages and uh, before they were illegal. Right. I talk about how that that like that's the real reason baseball had to outlaw steroids. Like when those fights break out, you can't have a motherfucker with roid rage wielding a bat. (laughs) Bonds and Canseco going against each other with bats. Yeah, like you, like you can't make the only man with a weapon also the one who's injecting rage juice in the locker room. With little tiny knives on the bottom of his feet. <laughs> they were a year away from Barry Bonds making some unsuspecting middle relief pitcher, the Chris Benoit's family of Major League Baseball. Just just swinging a, <laughs> swinging a 40-ounce bat right through this guy's sternum. <laughs> Like, imagine if that's how the Nolan Ryan fight ended. Just Robin Ventura beating him to death with the Louisville Slugger. People would be fucking traumatized. That would be, we would do a whole podcast about that, 100%. And I would still be like, look it up on YouTube. It's pretty great. It's like, oh no, we know what, that's on the Texas dollar. (laughs) That would be fucking amazing. In my story, Texas seceded from the union after that happened (laughs) yeah they're printing their own currency now yeah well because chicago you know it was the white Sox game so anyway so anyway after he moves on uh from talking about rebounding he uh starts talking about how he doesn't see color and how he feels no responsibility to be a representative for his race he talks about why he dates white women instead of black women and holy shit, do I not want to get into this part? It's, uh, you, you can't argue with facts, Adam. You can't argue with facts. 
Facts don't care about your feelings. No, it's really, I mean, it is, it's like, it's a talking point that we've heard before, you know, which is like, you know, I'm not responsible for the people that I was born among. Like, that's not my, it's not my responsibility. And you get it, but he doesn't exactly deliver it well. No. And like the guy who's reading it is probably rolling his eyes. (laughs) Oh, 100%. Yeah, that guy was in Selma. It's a complicated message to deliver. And if people want to read the book or or listen to uh, Dennis Rodman's feelings on race relations, by all means. Yeah. Have at it. They're exactly what you would expect. <laughs> but uh, then, the, like this is a, a roller coaster of a chapter. It goes from rebounding to I don't like black women to, but consequently, people really want to fuck Dennis Rodman. That's a line yep. from the book. People want to fuck Dennis Rodman. It's true for females and males. Co-signed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it for one second. Yeah. But he also keeps weaving while he's talking about all the the poontang opportunities on the road. He also keeps weaving in and out of talking about Magic Johnson like a real fucking killjoy. Yeah. Yeah. That's the 90s for you, man. You couldn't talk about getting porked without having to bring up Magic Johnson getting AIDS. Right. That was big news back then. But it's also, this is a a really important part of the Dennis Rodman story. And it's it's an example of Dennis Rodman being a genuinely uh, good person and decent person. So let's talk about that since I feel like we've been shitting on him a little bit this episode, this podcast. (laughs) He's no Robin Ventura, but sure. (laughs) So Magic Johnson... For people who aren't, you have to know who Magic Johnson is. He played for the Lakers in the 80s and 90s, tested positive for HIV in 1991, uh, and left basketball. Made a video with Eddie Murphy that you could uh, rent for free at the video stores. Which video? What video? Was it about AIDS? It was was about AIDS, yeah. Oh, shit. It was free to rent, baby. I remember that when it came out. Uh, I think people remember him returning to the league a little bit less, but that eventually happened in 1996 and this is hardcore in my wheelhouse for sports memories because I was a Bulls fan and this is when the Bulls were really fucking good so I was uh, tuned into the NBA quite a bit and believe me when I say a lot of players were not enthused by the idea of Magic Johnson returning to the NBA. Carl Malone was like very against it. Yeah if you can believe it Carl Malone was a huge asshole. Here is, I, I managed the to find delivering his, hot takes. <laughs> I managed to find his quote. I remember seeing him say this on the news. Uh, look at this scabs and cuts all over me. Should I be doing this in a Jimmy Kimmel voice? <laughs> yeah, remember Jimmy Kimmel in blackface is calm alone. <laughs> look at this scabs and cuts all over me. I get these every night, every game. They can't tell you that you're not at risk and you can't tell me there's one guy in the NBA who hasn't thought about it. Just because he came back doesn't mean nothing to me. I'm no fan, no cheerleader. It may be good for basketball, but you have to look far beyond that. You have a lot of young men who have a long life ahead of them. The dream team was a concept everybody loved, but now we're back to reality. I mean, here's the thing. Carl Malone is an asshole, but Carl Malone being covered in cuts and scabs and stuff, I... He might need to get it checked out himself, but like, <laughs> I also want, I understand there is, there is a need to be progressive and welcoming, and there's also a need to not get AIDS. And that is a, it's an interesting fine line because even though the science had been pretty much out there, like we all kind of got it, there's still the idea of like, you know, open wound to open wound contact can cause a, a transfusion of of this disease, right? Yeah. And the thing about what Carl Malone said, like it's easy to look back on it through our 2020 lens and be super judgmental about it, but there is a thing in sports called the blood rule. And the NBA, as far as I can tell, like I don't think teams started putting a blood rule into place until the 2000s. And the blood rule is if you are bleeding from a cut or scrape or open wound on your body, 
you have to be taken out of the game immediately until they can bandage that up so you're not dripping blood all over the place. So it obviously became a league-wide concern at some point, and I wonder if that rule was in place when Magic Johnson returned to the league. It seems like maybe it wasn't. Maybe that rule was in place to make Carl Malone shut the fuck up. <laughs> that could be. So with everything Carl Malone said about Magic Johnson returning to the NBA, let's talk about what Dennis Rodman felt about that, because I think it's a really important uh, aspect to the Dennis Rodman story. So this is a quote directly from the book. Magic's return to the NBA in 1996 was great for the league and for people with AIDS or HIV. First, he proved he could live a normal life. Then he proved he could still play basketball at the highest level in the world. We played the Lakers in Magic's second game back, and I guarded him the whole game. It was the first time he faced any real competition because the Lakers played Golden State in his first game, and Golden State doesn't play any defense. I figured I'd welcome Magic back to the league the only way I knew how, by bumping him and pushing him and treating him like any other player in the league. Like I told a reporter, I don't care if he has HIV, measles, cancer, whatever, I'm going to slam him anyway, and anyone who has any balls will do the same. Fuck yeah. I would also like to picture Magic Johnson like really sick with cancer and then Dennis Rodman just showing up and shoving him in the ground. <laughs> just checking him into his own hospital bed. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> really dominant on him, you know, really. Wow. Rodman really pushing uh, Johnson down in the paint. Just fucking smashing him down. <laughs> Get some bitch. Taking that, taking that a little too far, Dennis Rodman. And Magic Johnson was appreciative of that. Right, yeah. They In the post-game interview, he did a press conference with Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan's 20 feet away. <laughs> yeah, Jordan was in a hazmat suit. <laughs> but just so Spraying he could gamble without anyone seeing. <laughs> He's fucking betting on his own card games just inside his hazmat beak, suit. Little beekeeper outfit. Oh, this? I just wear this. It's got a fucking yeah. Nike logo. <laughs> little jump man on his hazmat suit. Except the jump man has the helmet on, too. Little jump man in a hazmat suit. Oh. Yeah, that all happened at that press conference. Yeah, People don't believe it, but that's how Jordan showed up. Yeah. But yeah, Magic Johnson talked about how Dennis Rodman playing him like that was probably a lesson for people that this was uh, this was normal. Everyone, everything's fine. I do wonder if Magic Johnson got any cuts or scrapes during any of those games, though. I would think so. Um, maybe they treated him like they treat Gretzky, where you just you don't go too hard on him anyway because he's a star, you know. So probably yeah. not as much as you know regular. Um, man, I always think about it like if I was Magic Johnson, I would have been like totally WWE about it. Like I would have been like faking people out and shit with it. Fucking blood packs in your uniform. Yeah, yeah, fake blood and shit. Oh, how could you? <laughs> Blading. Yeah, right. Hitting people with chairs and shit. <laughs> but yeah, Dennis Rodman, he mentions in the book, and he's right, that he was one of the only athletes on the forefront of AIDS awareness, especially at that time. Like, he dyed the AIDS ribbon into his hair all the time. He talked about it in interviews. Like, this is arguably the, aside from all the things he did on the court, which are great. This was Dennis Rodman's uh, kind of superstar moment off the court, I would argue. Yeah, it was. There's a quote from the book where he says, uh, I'm not trying to encourage kids to be gay, but it shouldn't keep them from being in athletics if they are. And it's crazy how that is still kind of a shocking thing to hear from a professional athlete, even in 2020. Yeah. Yeah, it is, man. Go Dennis Rodman. Good for you. Yeah. What's next for Dennis Rodman? What's the next <laughs> chapter? Uh, the Madonna chapter, finally. Much like Juiced, the longest chapter in the book. Yep. But unlike Juice, I feel like he handles it a little better. I have, I'm have. i going to take up umbrage about one thing that he consistently says, which is that which, he, ref he refused to go down on her. Yeah, that's silly. What's, what's wrong with you? Yeah, it's Madonna. That's Madonna. Okay. But at least he does admit they had sex, which Jose Canseco, I don't think, ever does in Juiced. Maybe they didn't. Hmm. Like, I mean, maybe, sure. 
We weren't Jose there. Canseco, he, he had some confidence issues. Dennis Rodman was pretty fucking confident by the time he met Madonna. Or was he? He was crashing her on the boards, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, hey, oh. Yeah, the story is very interesting because it's 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 not exactly romantic because it's a lot of scheduling. I guess it's as romantic as you can be when you have that much scheduling going on. Yeah. I like the part where he refused to call her Madonna. Yeah, he's like, no, that's stupid. He was like, that's weird. It's not, it's not your real name. And here's the thing. It is her real name. What is it? I'm pretty sure. No, I thought it was uh, another thing that I can't look up right now. But she's got an, some some Italian-ass last name. I think it's... Uh... Madonna Louise Ciccone. Oh, okay. Yeah, her real name's Madonna. So he was like, fuck your real name. You're Tita now. Yeah, you're Tita Ciccone. I do like that he acknowledged... Like, he, he goes a little more in-depth as to what their relationship was like, as opposed to Jose Canseco. And he he talks about how... In retrospect, he realizes that she was probably a little more interested in him than he he re- either realized at the time or was willing to accept at the time. Yeah, he keeps saying like what the thread that comes up in this a lot is that she was over the hill of of her like sexual exploration and stuff that she was kind of over it and she wanted him to be over it as well. And he's like, I'm not. Yeah, I mean, Madonna had been sport fucking since like 83 by that point. That's pretty unfair to put on poor Dennis Rodman, who's just been in the NBA for a few years. You got to give him more time. Yeah, but she he, he does corroborate with Jose. He talks a lot. He corroborates with Jose Canseco about like how she's very much like, I want a, a, a meaty brown baby. Yeah, and uh, he said he tried. He tried to get her pregnant. Yeah. And he he has a lot of uh, he has a good perspective about her life. Like he gets it, I think, a little bit more than Jose. Jose Canseco, for all of his the way he lived, it always seemed like he was very insulated. And Dennis Rodman doesn't really have that. Like like it seems like Jose Canseco had this kind of tunnel vision of his life, and Rodman seems to be a, a little bit more like you know wide frame. Yeah, I would agree with that, and especially as it pertains to Madonna, but. Yeah, just generally a a classier take on it than Canseco had. Although he does go into super duper detail talking about them fucking. Yeah. He lays that shit out. Well, well, it's funny because it started, it was like an interview that she was interviewing him for like, was it Vibe or Rolling Stone or something like that? What a different world the 90s were. It was Vibe magazine, yeah. Yeah, so she was interviewing him for Vibe magazine, and then the photo spread was like them on top of each other, and he's like, and we were just like dry humping in the photo shoot. Yeah, and then the article never came out. That's disappointing. Right? I'd like to read it. So then chapter eight, the first thing he says in this chapter, if I die young, everyone's going to say they saw it coming. So immediately I'm like, okay, we are back. We are back to the Dennis Rodman I am expecting, but nope, just turns into a lame straight edge chapter about how he doesn't do drugs. And it's like, come on, man, do some drugs. Hey, maybe he got the Len Bias message and decided not to do drugs. That's true. These motherfuckers' hearts are already moving over time, and you want to add cocaine to the mix? He also, in this chapter, talks about how he wanted to play his last NBA game in the nude. Adam... He goes he goes into very specific details of his plan. This is a very specific plan. Yeah, let's let's read that verbatim. Here goes. At the end of my last game, here's what I want to do. I'll walk off the court and take off one piece of clothing with every step. First, it will be my shirt, which I'll autograph and hand to some kid in the stands. Then I'll toss my shoes into the stands. Fucking ouch. And then my socks, and then my shorts, and then my jock strap. Then I'll be at midcourt. And I'll walk the rest of the way into the locker room nude. That is literally a crime. Dennis, don't do that. That You would be on a sex offender registry for doing that in a room that's going to be at least, I don't know, one-sixth children? Yeah. One-eighth? There's going to be a lot of kids in that room. There's a percentage of children at the basketball <laughs> game for families. And to involve kids in the plot. Just yeah. a serious lack of foresight. Yeah, a man gave me some clothes before he went fully naked. It's very European of him. Yeah, but uh, that apparently never happened. Then there's a a really hard left turn where he goes back to talking about the Spurs. And again, just join that fucking huddle, man. 
Like, yeah, it's a lot about how he wanted to just sit out of the huddle. Like, let me sit down. He took his shoes off, lays down. And he, like, that's kind of the the rest of the book. He he spends it complaining about the Spurs and then talks about joining the Bulls, but he's even kind of a dick about that. Like, his explanation for why he took the number 91, for example, he said his old number was 10, and 9 plus 1 equals 10, uh, as all the math buffs out there surely know. But he also said he picked it because 9 and 1 are the first two numbers you dial in an emergency and he felt he was filling an emergency need for the Bulls. One, that's kind of a dickish thing to say. And two, I guarantee that was at, like, he came up with that after he picked that number. I think he was going to do it because he knew 9-11 was going to happen. Oh, shit. I didn't yeah, even didn't think, even about, think that. about that. Yeah. 9-11 was an inside the paint job. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. We got we, there. Yeah, we got there. I didn't realize their first exhibition te- game as a team was in Peoria, Illinois. I didn't live in Peoria at the time, but you I probably it. still wouldn't have gone because it's an exhibition game. Like, get out of here. With Dennis Rodman, though. Well, I mean, I would have been there to see Jordan, but Dennis Rodman would have thought I was there to see him. Maybe you could have seen Dennis Rodman's dick. Maybe he's like, I decided to do it actually on my first game. <laughs> and yeah, the book ends with the exact same thing we talked about on the last episode, which is him joining the Chicago Bulls a lot. It it really ends with him talking about Phil Jackson. Like it's, it's like a weird yeah. sign off. And it's actually the weirdest part about this book is that the finish is just like, thank God Phil Jackson's a hippie. Yeah. Which is one of the most honest things he says, because I don't think he realizes how true that really is because the, it seemed like the general consensus was just that no team was going to fuck with Dennis Rodman. Like he was, a problem on the Pistons toward the end of his time there. He couldn't get along with David fucking Robinson, who seems like the easiest to get along with person. I'm going to disagree. He's a fucking nerd that was in the Navy. Yeah. Like I suppose. how many fucking Navy nerds do you know that you're like, Oh, this is my friend. I'm like, Nope. Yeah. I mean, I don't know any Navy nerds. Dennis Rodman's a fu- He's fucking boring. But I would not say that he is probably really easy to get along with. He seems like a fucking square. Yeah, I could see that. Like anybody who's cool would fucking die before hanging out with Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman goes to a bar and gets milk. (laughs) But yeah, Dennis Rodman's right. Without Phil Jackson, his story probably would have, even if it didn't end after the Spurs, it wouldn't have been as interesting. I feel like he would have just kind of flamed out of the league. Yeah, he would have been. He wouldn't have been much. He got, you know, but he got defensive titles. He probably would have been on the ballot for the Hall of Fame, but he certainly wouldn't have. I mean, he probably wouldn't have made it. Yeah, he wouldn't have got in first ballot like he did. Like, or no, I don't think he got on, got in first ballot, but he got in. Yeah. It didn't take too long. He would have been like, like, it, like Paul Molitor in baseball. You yeah. Know? He was just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Robin Yount. Yeah. Like the guys that were like good, but you're like, ah, I fucking sure. Yeah. So on the next episode. We're going to talk about his time after the Bulls, which uh, he's a lot less happy then. I can promise you that. Why? It yeah yeah I don't know what what uh, my my question is what are we even going to talk about? There's so much. <laughs> like his time in the NBA after the Bulls is kind of unremarkable, except he's got that that incident where he just sat down on the court after getting a technical foul. That was pretty famous. That's like a double technical. Yeah. So. We'll get into all of that on the yeah. next episode. It's a, a good sode, yeah. Yeah, I think this episode's going to end up being longer than the book. Yeah, about that. It looks like we're closing up on 90 minutes or so. But that's before we edit this thing. Yeah, who knows? So, ugh, I don't know. Do we have anything to plug? You can subscribe yeah. to this podcast. You sure can. If you want to uh, help keep this show afloat and my my co-host, Jeff, Hey, uh, fin- financially solvent. You can go you to go. Li- check out the fucking handle we got for this uh, subscription podcast site. Sports.supercast.tech. Everything is .supercast.tech, but we got sports. So all the people wanting to get sports, they're going to find it's owned by a podcast called You Don't Even Like Sports. Fuck yeah, buddy. Yeah, so check that out. If you want uh, episodes ad-free and uh, bonus episodes like this was supposed to be a bonus episode, but now I'm doing this plug at the end. So I guess this is going out for free. That's a standard uh, episode. 
Just fucking, will you just give us $2 a month, please? Just fucking do it, bro. I gotta eat. It's $2. I want my $2. Well, as far as my end, uh, Sideshow Sideshows every other Tuesday uh, through Sideshow Collectibles and all of their various ways you can get that stuff. Tom and Jeff Watch Batman with Tom Ryman is on the Gamefully Unemployed uh, Network. I do a bunch of hey, stuff. Hey, Jeff. With, I, uh, yeah, yeah. What's that podcast about? Oh, uh, it's like, uh, I think it's about sports actually which oh, is cool. weird well i don't like sports so um, go on it's about a uh it's about a billionaire olympic level athlete that dresses in a halloween costume and beats up the mentally ill why wouldn't you want to <laughs> why wouldn't you want to listen <laughs> um let's see i gotta do lots of stuff on the unpops network so you should subscribe to that uh go into that uh, patreon.com slash unpops yeah yay and then uh, once comedy becomes legal again, uh, Mint on Card will be the second Friday of every month at Blast from the Past on Magnolia in Burbank, California. So don't be afraid to check that out. Find me and Adam on all the socials. I'm at Adam Todd Brown, Todd with one D, and Adam can be found at Hey There Jeffro. Correct. On okay, bye. all the platforms. All right, let's get the fuck out of here, Jeff. Say goodbye. Bye, buddy. Goodbye, everybody. We love you. Bye. We love you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>